If you haven't been with us, or it's been a while since you've been with us, we are in a series going through the pastoral epistles, going through each of those, which includes First and Second Timothy and Titus. We are beginning tonight to enter chapter 2 of First Timothy, so you can turn there. We spent uh, four weeks, four weeks in the first chapter, and I don't think that the rest of these uh, sections will be quite as uh, granular as that. But regardless, we are now in chapter two, and this evening we're going to look at these fir- the first seven verses of this chapter. Paul has spent the time, and we've spent time, as we've seen him relay the seriousness and the severity of Timothy's call to ministry at Ephesus. He has spent time trying to relay and convey the seriousness of the gospel. He is charging Timothy with this truth. We looked at that last week. The fact that these charges, you can really think of them as a commanding officer giving them to his subordinates. And now he is telling his, uh, his protege, Timothy, this is your charge. I'm giving you this, th- these dispatches, you might say, from the front. And here now... As we enter chapter 2, we have really the actual, or you might say the practical side of this instruction. And here we kind of really get what Paul really wants to say. These practical instructions and charges to Timothy. Let me just read these seven verses quickly to get us into the text. Notice what Paul says. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers... Intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. So you see as Paul begins his instructions to this young preacher. Notice the first thing that he mentions. The first thing out of his mouth, not Timothy, get more seminary training. Not Timothy, make sure you have more of the Bible memorized. Not Timothy, go and make sure you do some such other religious duty. It's prayer. The very first thing in which Paul commissions Timothy to do, charges Timothy to spend time in, to commit himself to, is prayer. I think that's a very interesting Fact that his first charge is the charge to pray. He says, first of all. Here I think we have uh, before us the, the very importance of prayer relayed to us by the Apostle Paul. It's the chief assignment for those who have been entrusted with the gospel. Their chief assignment is to be people of prayer. And notice the terms there in verse 1. For all of the postures of prayer, he says, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, I think we could spend some time, we could if we wanted to, uh, 
getting kind of lost in defining each of those terms and what they mean. The difference between supplications and thanks and intercessions and whatnot. But I think that would be to sort of miss the point of what Paul is saying. I think what Paul is here, by using all those terms and just describing prayer in multiple different ways, is he's saying that prayer is absolutely paramount in your life, Timothy. You cannot forget this practice as a believer, as one who has been charged with the gospel. Your chief duty is to be a man of prayer. To be a preacher and to be one who is one devoted to prayer. It's the same for our life as well. It's absolutely paramount in our life that we be Christians of prayer. Our whole life depends on this. It depends on our prayer life. It is our lifeblood. You might say it's our spiritual oxygen. And in fact, I love how one of my favorite uh, reformers, of course, is Martin Luther. You may have gathered that. And I love what he says in one of his commentaries. He says, a Christian without prayer is just as impossible as a living person without a pulse. Such is the truth of the word. That to be a Christian is to be a person of prayer. And that if you aren't praying, you might say that as we saw this morning in this morning's sermon, that you might be a little bit self-sufficient. Prayer is what lines our hearts with the truth of God's word. It keeps us on our knees, keeps us focused. It keeps us where we ought to be. Luther continues, you cannot find a Christian who does not pray, just as you cannot find a living man without a pulse that never stands still, but beats and beats on continually of itself, although the man may sleep or do anything else, so being all unconscious of this pulse. This pulse, this pulsating beats of the Christian life is the prayer life. The times that we spend praying, pouring out our hearts to the Father. And the point remains that this life of prayer, which Paul is entrusting and committing Timothy to, is indispensable. It's an indispensable ingredient of our faith that we be people uh, devoted to prayer. But we don't always approach it that way, don't we? I can tell you uh, from personal experience that I don't. I don't approach prayer as an absolutely indispensable ingredient in my life of faith. I often like to say that I treat prayer, I have to confess to you, I have to preach prayer, prayer like a fire extinguisher, right? We pull it out in times of emergency like a heavenly antidote to life's problems. We treat prayer almost as if it has a special glass over the front of it that says use in case of emergency. And then we have a stressful, tormenting time in our life. We break that glass and we make sure we pray because life is stressful. Life is hard. A prayer is not just a fire extinguisher. Or I like to think of prayer also time in my life, at least like flossing. (laughs) You know, like the thing that you're told by the dentist to do. And you tell them that you're going to do it because you know that it's healthy for you. You know that all the studies have shown that you can extend your lifespan if you floss. And yet, when you go home from the dentist's office, what do you not do? You don't floss because it just takes up too much time. It's too annoying and it's too frustrating. Like, how do I get that thing in my mouth? It's 
It's the first thing to go, right? We don't make time to floss. When our schedules are busy, when we are going here and there and yon, we don't floss. We don't make time for flossing. We don't make time for praying too, I think. It's the first thing in our spiritual life that falls away. Oh, I can pray some other time. I can pray at some other juncture. I don't need to make time out for this. Despite knowing how good it is for us. Despite knowing the benefits of what prayer does for us. Just like flossing. We don't end up doing it. We cast it aside. And we leave it alone. But regardless, prayer... I would say is the most vital aspect of our personal and also of our private public, or, or excuse me, our personal and our public worship. It's this proclamation of the gospel to ourselves in prayer. First of all, Paul says, this is the first thing the church ought to be defined by. If you want to know a church that is living for the truth of the word, I charge you to pray, Paul is saying. In this time, Timothy, when everything is going to surround you that says you don't need this truth, that you can start speaking some other thing, that you can be distracted by some other gospel. He says, I charge you, I exhort you, I uh, urge you, Timothy, be a pastor of prayer and your church will become a people of prayer. Such ought to be said of us. And I think here, I think we find three lessons quickly in this text Three lessons in this charge of the Apostle Paul, in this charge to pray. Look at the first three verses. I think we have the first lesson, which is the prevalence of prayer. The prevalence of prayer. Look at what he says. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. His charge is... To give himself to pray and is augmented by the scope of that prayer. Notice again it says for all men. The scope of prayer encompasses all of God's creatures. All of humanity. It's not segregated. It's not restricted to a certain set of peoples or persons. It's not just pray for the people that you know. Not just pray for the people that you like. Pray for all men. There's nothing that should hinder us from praying for someone. All here means all. It's all encompassing. Pray for all men. And the the very scenario here that Paul is referencing, he references later on in verse 7 where he says that he has been ordained to be a preacher to the Gentiles. And this time there was, it might be familiar to us, a heavy dose of Racism in the society between the Jews and the Gentiles. Much was said of that and much was made of that in Paul's very own ministry. Especially in his letter to the Romans you can read that. It's all there. And here he's saying that there's no, there's no racial barriers to this gospel. There's no racial barriers to this life of prayer. It's all men. Jews and Gentiles alike have a share in this good news. Therefore we ought to pray for all of these people. This is what he's saying. There's no one who is outside the scope of this prayer. There's no one who is outside of the realm of who this prayer can cover. And notice what he says at the end of verse, or excuse me, at the beginning of verse 2. He amplifies this prayer further by pinpointing a certain set of people. He says, for kings, 
And for all that are in authority. He's calling Timothy to pray for the very leaders that were persecuting his very people. For those kings that are causing you harm and causing you terror and horrifying your church. You pray for them. The lesson is easily applicable to us because it doesn't matter our view of a particular leader. It doesn't matter our, our, whether we like someone or not who is in the government, who is in, uh, 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 in an office. Whether we think they're worthy of that office or not, our duty is to pray for them. Regardless of our feelings towards them. They are to be people that I think are worthy of our prayer. And I would say even they need our prayer. The people who lead our country, they need our prayers for them, whether we like them or not. Whether we have good feelings or ill feelings towards them, they are people whom we should pray for. And in fact, 50 years ago or more, Pastor H.A. Ironside said this. I'm quite sure of this. If we prayed more for those at the head of the country... And in other positions of responsibility, we would feel less ready to criticize them. We would be more disposed to recognize the heavy burdens resting upon them. And to understand how easy it is to make mistakes in times of crisis. (laughs) Prayer aligns us in that moment to realize that they are human too. And that they are in the same desperation of God's grace as we are. Whether they realize it or not. The people who are leading us, the people who are above us in authority, as Paul is saying, they are worthy of our prayer. And I would say that such is what Jesus gets at when he says in Matthew 5 to pray for your enemies. That such is what brings us together as people from different sides of the coin, you might say. Because it's hard to uh, demean someone, it's hard to dishonor someone, it's hard to uh, debase someone for whom you are praying It's hard to be uh, evil and mean to someone whom you are taking to the Lord in prayer. Such is why Jesus says, pray for your enemies. And here, pray for these kings. Pray for these dignitaries and authorities. Pray for all men. Even those you disagree with. Even those that annoy you. The people that frustrate you. The people in your life that you don't really like. Pray for them too. Because everyone is in the same level of need. And that leads us to, I think, the second lesson. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. Because here, along with the prevalence, this wide, wide scope of prayer. Here, I think we have the power of prayer. Look what he says. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, Prayers be made for all men, for this is good, verse 3, and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Paul here is communicating the power of this prayer. He's conveying it by, by getting and communicating to us the purpose of this prayer. Notice he says in verse 4 that in this prayer he would have all men to come unto a knowledge of the truth. 
This is what he's praying for. He's praying for the salvation of these souls. That they would have all men to be saved. And he's aligning his life and his prayer life with God's own prerogative. He said this is what God would have. He would have all men to be saved. God's not desirous of any to be condemned to hell. Let me read you some verses that I think are incredibly powerful. These come from Ezekiel's prophecy. Let me see if I can get there really quick. Ezekiel chapter 18. You can write that reference down and I'll, I'll just read them. Ezekiel 18 verses 30 through 32. The scriptures say, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. And then a couple pages over in Ezekiel 33, the prophets speaking for the Lord here. Speaking the Lord's word says something similar. He says in Ezekiel thirty three eleven, Say unto them as I live saith the Lord God. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die O house of Israel? Here very clearly. It is not something from, in which God uh, desires pleasure in the damnation of the wicked. He doesn't seek out that end. He doesn't seek out their ruin. He's not a vengeful God. And so here in this verse where it says who will have all men to be saved. Paul is not sort of indicating a sort of universalistic gospel. He's not saying that everyone's going to come To a knowledge of the truth. He's praying for that end. And neither I think can we try and stretch this verse to mean some sort of election here or anything like that. All here means all. It's we are praying for all men. And I think here we're getting to the heart and I think the root of the gospel. Which I think does have a little hint of universalism in it. In that we might say that Jesus' sacrifice is held out for every single person who has ever lived. Everyone who has ever existed on this planet earth has been given the gift of this salvation. Jesus has been held out to them as a gift of grace. His atoning sacrifice was powerful enough to cover the world's sins. Even here it says he is the ransom for all. Or in John 3.16, for God who loveth the whole world, not part of the world, not some of the people who have existed, not part, only this people group. It's the whole world. Everyone who has ever existed has been counted for in this love of Jesus Christ. And he has held himself out as the Savior for all men. But that atonement is only made effectual, only made real. As we give up our own beliefs in ourselves, as we give up our own ideas of self-salvation, realize that we have been saved by Jesus Christ. That he has redeemed us and washed us in his blood. And that's what faith is. It's ascension and it is claiming that gift as your own. That that atonement is yours as well. 
That atonement is the universal gift held out to all people. And sadly, some people throw that gift back in Jesus' face. They go to hell, leaving that gift unopened. They had salvation in front of them. And yet they went to hell, leaving that gift of salvation unopened. One writer says it this way. That God makes hell possible, but not necessary. Man, unnecessary, makes it actual. He makes hell, hell, because he disbelieves in what the gospel says to him. The gospel says, here, here is salvation and assurance of eternity. And he says, no, I can do it my own way. Such is why Paul here, we ought to be praying for these men's hearts. This ransom was given for all. And Paul is saying, I want these people to be stirred to a knowledge of the truth. A knowledge of the truth as it is in Jesus. Because these people are dying and going to eternal damnation. When the gift of the gospel is being held out to them. Therefore we could say this. That hell is a place that is full of people who have rejected the free forgiveness through Christ's ransom. Notice he says in verse 6. Who gave himself a ransom for some. He gave himself as a ransom for only some of the people that he knew. For only the people that he liked. No, it doesn't say that. He gave himself as a ransom for all. Every person who has ever existed. Jesus was their ransom from their sins. From the wrath of God for their sins. He paid that ransom by his very own blood. This is the truth that Paul is here evincing and selling to Timothy. This is the truth of the gospel. This is why we pray for all men. Because everyone has a share in this truth. That Jesus was their ransom. Even though they do not claim it as their own. Jesus paid for their sins. And we pray for them. We pray for their hearts. That they would come to a knowledge. That Jesus has borne their sins already on that tree. But instead of faith. We might say that. The people who end up. Unfortunately going to hell. Are people who, instead of having faith in Jesus' death, they cling to their own means of salvation. That same writer, he says, hell is only for those who insist on finding their life outside of Jesus' death. Hell, that's who makes up that place. That unfortunate, unnecessary place. Because Jesus has paid for their sins. He has held out his life as ransom for all. And people have rejected that gift. He's made ample provision for everyone to be saved. He has died for all. And therefore Paul is here now saying it is right and good and just for us to pray for all. We pray for all men because every man has been made to share in this gospel. And we pray that their hearts would be stirred and drawn to this gospel. This is the power of prayer. Because we're praying to this one in prayer, this Savior who gave his life as a ransom for every man. And that leads us to the third lesson in the text. Verses 5 through 7. Here, Paul writes of the person of prayer. Notice he says, for there is one God 
And one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. He's speaking of the person of prayer, that one God, that one mediator, Christ, Jesus, the Lord. This is who his whole life was concerned with and who his whole prayer life was concerned with. It was that man, Christ, Jesus. You see, when you pray, you're not praying to just the four rooms or the four walls in your room. You're not praying to some dead, lifeless idol. You are praying to a living, breathing person. And his name is Jesus. And he is there for you right now in glory, interceding for you, hearing your prayers and your cries, your mutters and your mumbles. And he's taking them before God the Father. I can't get over the fact when you read in the Psalms, you read in Romans 8, the fact that he intercedes Our prayers where it says we don't even know how to pray as we ought. And yet the spirit there hears our prayers and he takes them before the Lord. Or elsewhere in the Psalms, I forget the reference where he says that the the Lord catches all of our tears in his hands. He knows all of those griefs in our prayers. He hears them. He hears us. I can't get over the fact that the creator of the universe isn't indifferent to us. He's not a deistic God in the sense that he just leaves us alone. He winds up creation and then he lets us be. He is personally involved in every single one of our lives. He has his ears bent towards you. Such that when you pray, he hears you. Regardless Of where you are, regardless of what's happening in your present circumstances, He hears your prayers. The Creator of the universe hears you. He is the person that you are praying to, He is the person that hears you, that sees you, that knows you in your prayers, who is with you in them. And He gives this summary of the gospel, as we've already mentioned. Paul is here charging Timothy with prayer. And how does he do it? He, he does it by reminding him of the truth of the gospel that is found in this person. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. This was the person to whom he was charging Timothy to pray, to devote his life to, to uh, make him impassioned about that this person, Christ Jesus, he was a real person. He wasn't just a myth. He wasn't just a, uh, he wasn't a, just a historical figure. He was God in flesh. And now he is your savior. He is your mediator. He is the one you pray to. You don't need to go to any other person. He is our mediator too. He is our go-between. He is our advocate, our intercessor with the Father. We don't have to go to any other person to pray to God. Isn't that a blessing? We don't have to go to a priest. We don't have to go to anyone to confess our sins. We can confess them right where we are. This says, and I think in Second Peter, that we are the priesthood of the, of the Father. Such, that's what we are. 
As redeemed, blood-bought sinners, we have been made priests in God's eyes. And we all have rightful access to the very heart of the Father to pray to Him. We don't have to go before a bishop or a priest or any other human intermediary. Jesus is our intermediary. And we can pray directly to him. He is our substitute who has exchanged his peace for our penalty. And he intercedes God's justice for us. And he reconciles us through his own death. This was Paul's passion. You can see it. I like that, inter, that parenthetical interjection that he writes there in verse 7. I'm speaking the truth, he says. I'm not lying. This gospel, it's so real and it's something that has changed my entire life. He is so caught up with making sure that people knew that he wasn't just fibbing. He wasn't just fooling around with these words. He knew who met him on that road to Damascus. As we learned about several weeks ago. As Paul told his testimony, he said, I knew who I was. I was a sinner and I was rescued by Jesus. It wasn't just a vision, an angel. I wasn't drunk or high. It was Jesus. He met me on that road. That God who is our Savior who paid my ransom, Timothy. This is the person who saved me. This is why I'm so passionate about this gospel, Timothy. Because I know who it came from. It didn't come from me came from God. This is my calling. I'm speaking the truth. I'm not lying. I'm speaking the truth. I am his apostle. I am his preacher. I have been called to uh, teach the Gentiles in faith, he says. In faith and verity. To teach them in all soundness the healthy words of the gospel. The sound doctrine of God, you might say. And it begins with getting on your knees and praying. Being people who know that they are not able to have any sustenance. Not have any uh, consistency in this life except we be people of prayer. People who are not independent but dependent on the Savior. Dependent on the Savior who took our place. Who, who, who paid our ransom by his very own body's death. This is the one we are praying to. This is the one who is forming and formulating all of our entire life. This Savior, this Jesus, this Jesus who ransomed Paul from all of the wreckage of his life. He is still our Savior today and he still hears us today. I, I pray to be a person of prayer. I, I told you at the beginning, I have to confess again, I don't treat prayer like I ought to. Like I said, it's like a fire extinguisher or a flossing Something we cast off or something we only use when we really need it. But prayer ought to be our lifeblood. The thing that we cannot do without. The thing that just is so, not routine, but it's habitual. It's something that we just know we need. Like coffee. Prayer should be like coffee. You can't exist without it. It wakes you up. (laughs) It stirs your soul. 
That's prayer. It's something that God has given to us as a gift. So often we don't partake of that gift. Such is why Paul is here charging this young preacher, Timothy, be a preacher, a pastor, be a man of prayer. May your church be a church of prayer. And as that old saying goes, let us never cease to pray until we cease to breathe. Let us be that type of devoted Christians to the truth. That we are praying to the God and the person of truth. That our lives are revolved around this prayer life. A life that is devoted to praying for people that we don't like. For praying for people that we disagree with. Knowing that they have ample share in this gospel. Let us be people devoted to this type of prayer. What does your prayer life look like? It's okay if it doesn't look perfect and pristine. That's probably how everyone's looks like. You're in good company. But are you making a habit to pray? And who are you making a habit to pray for? Just those people you like? Or the people that frustrate you? Just the people you agree with? Or Pittsburgh Steelers fans too? Me, I have to pray for Miami Hurricanes fans, and that's really difficult for me sometimes. (laughs) Who are you praying for? Who are you devoting your life to? Are you a person of prayer? And are you praying to this person in prayer? The person, the man, Christ Jesus. He is hearing you. He is listening. He is ready and waiting for you to pray. Let us do so. Let us pray.